I'm Amanda Olberg, Managing Editor of Education Next. We invite you to join this week's Education Next podcast, available online Wednesday morning each week at educationnext.org. In 2009, 48 states in the District of Columbia joined together to launch the Common Core State Standards Initiative, an effort to establish common math and reading standards aimed at ensuring that all students graduate prepared for college, career, and life. Soon thereafter, 45 of those states in the District of Columbia also joined one or both of two consortia working to develop tests aligned to the new standards. Controversy has swirled around both efforts from the start in part due to the perception that the federal government had pressured states to participate. Yet seven years later, the Common Core standards remain on the books in most states, while participation in the testing consortia has fallen rapidly. Why have so many states abandoned the consortia even as the standards on which they are based continue to live on in most places? I'm Marty West, Editor-in-Chief of Education Next, and my guest today is Ashley Jockham. Ashley is a research analyst at the Center on Reinventing Public Education and the author, with Patrick McGinn, of a new article in EdNext entitled The Politics of the Common Core Assessments. The article will appear in the fall 2016 issue of the journal and is available now on our website at educationnext.org. Ashley, thanks for taking the time to talk with me about it today. Thanks for asking me. It's a pleasure to be here. So why don't you start out by telling us a bit about the two consortia and their origins. Where did they come from? Yeah, so as you can imagine, common standards require common assessments um, if you want to have some some degree of comparability across states to measure how students are doing on some common benchmarks. And so that was sort of decided at the outset that was going to be part of the Common Core initiative. And the Obama administration, through its Race to the Top program, made a big investment in making that a reality. So they invested about $350 million dollars in funding uh, two consortia to develop these aligned assessments. Um, And the two consortia were Smarter Balanced and the Partnership for Assessment of Readiness for College and Careers, which is quite the mouthful. Um, So Smarter Balanced and PARC were the two consortia that emerged through that competition, um, and they set out to develop these common assessments. And so you had the vast majority of states participating in one or both of the consortia at the outset. Um, And I assume the states that were participating in both, this was sort of hedging their bets and eventually they were going to decide to participate in one or the other? Absolutely. And, you know, states could participate in one of two ways. So they could have a more active role by becoming a governing member, and that required them making some commitments around participation. But they could also uh, participate in a less intensive way. Um, And for states to do that, it was really easy. They could just say, I want to participate. And so it was was pretty costless for them to at least be a part of the consortia in this less intensive way from the outset. And that enabled them to sort of track what was happening with the consortia. And, you know, they they took similar approaches to this work, but there were a few differences. Um, So it was a good way for states to sort of fill out what would make sense for them, what did they want to do. So some of the attrition that you document in the article in the early years may have been sort of a natural function of states just finding the right match. But uh, things, yeah. things certainly do seem to have gone off the rails to some degree. Can you tell us a bit about when that started to happen and what the numbers have looked like? 
Yeah, so I think it, it's actually very um, illuminating to look at the timing because, as you say in the early years, a number of states were switching consortia as they learned more about them. So California is one example. It started out with Park and then went to Smarter Balance almost immediately. Um, but really where we see a big uptake in the, in the in states opting out of these consortia is between 2013 and 2015. And this was also the time in which these assessments were just beginning to be implemented in states. So states were doing pilot testing and then moving into full-fledged use of the assessments. And they were also in the stages of finalizing their implementation of the standards as well. Um, so I think that, you know, is where really things reached a, a high point with five to six states leaving every year um, during that period. So what happened? You mentioned that they started using the test for the first time. Um, was it implementation challenges that began to be the first cause for concern or what else changed politically? Yeah, so I think it's, um, it's, there's more than one source of opposition here, and that's what I think is so interesting about this story. Um, you know, the assessments came into being at a time when there was this broader pushback against testing, and it was kind of reaching a high point just as Common Core was being implemented and the new assessments were coming online. And I think it's important to note that I don't, I don't believe that the new assessments that the consortia designed caused all of this opposition, but it certainly helped to fuel the fire. And, and, of course, another factor was the fact that not just were the assessments being rolled out, but they were also being used for teacher evaluations at the same time. Absolutely. And so this is partly an implementation story and I think also a political story. Um, you know, and I think part of the challenge here is, is you really had opposition from both the left and the right. So as you say, on the left, many critics viewed these new assessments as No Child Left Behind Act 2.0. Um, right? So a lot of this anti-testing pushback was in part a reaction to the last decade of reforms under No Child Left Behind. And uh, many folks on the left viewed these assessments as a key cog in the wheel of test-based accountability, which could be used to close schools and fire teachers. And, and it's important to note that these weren't totally unfounded concerns because these were actually things that um, had been done through test-based accountability or, or folks were planning to do through the new teacher evaluation systems. So I think that's a really important part of the story is that states were working on these initiatives around account accountability, new standards, new assessments, new teacher evaluation systems, all at the same time, um, while there was this opposition that had been building really over the last decade. Um, and of and course, of course on, on the right, you also had challenges with all of this because the uh, Obama administration helped to fuel, um, feed the effort for states to uh, adopt the standards and the assessments by offering incentives through Race to the Top, and then later also the, the program of flexibility offered around No Child, Child Left Behind. So I think, you know, these were, uh, there were real concerns at play here that helped to, to feed the politics over time. Yeah, so a lot of conservative supporters of the Common Core like to blame the Obama administration for bungling this uh, episode by first of all, funding the consortia in the first place, and then secondly, by pushing the teacher evaluation and ramped up school improvement uh, grant agenda at the, at the same time. Do you think that's a sort of a fair critique? I think so. You know, I think if they had just funded the consortia and hadn't put in place a lot of incentives for states to adopt the standards and the assessments, I think there would have been less 
less of a, a basis for saying, well, you know, you've pushed states to do this. But I think, you know, a lot of states were eager to opt out of some key provisions with No Child Left Behind. And they were also eager during Race to the Top, this was sort of at the height of post-recession budget crises in states, they were eager to get some, some federal funding uh, to support education. And I think, you know, there's always a fine line between when you're using a carrot versus a stick. And I think um, critics say, and I think there's, it's a fair, fair point, that, um, that it leaned towards a stick in this case, given the circumstances in states. Now, of course, the states that have pulled out of the testing consortia are not abandoning testing altogether. In fact, under the new Every Student Succeeds Act, they're required to continue to test students annually in the same grades in math and reading as they had previously. And as you point out in the article, only three states have formally withdrawn from the broader Common Core Standards Initiative. So presumably states are now in the process of adopting new tests that are ostensibly at least aligned to the same standards that the consortia tests were. I think that's absolutely right. And, you know, one of the interesting things that is likely to happen over the next several years is sort of a shakeup around uh, the marketplace for assessments. I think you see um, some, some groups getting a toehold as states try to appease opponents of the Common Core by moving in a different direction on assessment. Um, winning contracts in states uh, to develop new Common Core aligned assessments. Um, I also think you have some interesting stuff happening because of the new federal law um, with states trying to take new approaches to assessment. Um, so there's some new flexibility around using interim assessments that roll up into a summative assessment over time. And many states, just given the broader pushback over uh, testing generally, I think are eager to find new approaches to this work. And of course, I learned from the article that the ACT and College Board are both now offering their own Common Core aligned state tests, so they're new entrants in the marketplace as well. Absolutely, and of course, already a number of states that have even held firm with the consortia, they are using those assessments in high school, given the appeal of tying a college entrance test um, with a high school, a required high school test. Um, it's sort of a two for one assessment, which, you know, makes sense from a lot of people's point of view. And so that's already happening happening in states where they've maintained their commitment to the consortia. So I think you've done a great job in terms of helping us understand the pushback against the assessment and uh, the decisions of states to withdraw. But why has all this not been enough to drive a widespread rejection of the Common Core standards themselves? Yeah, so I think there's a few things at play here. I think on the one hand, you have a calculated decision on the part of policymakers that they're going to respond to this pushback around Common Core by getting rid of one of the most visible components of the reform, and that is the assessments. This is the point where parents, teachers, other folks are really having, having direct contact with the standards. It's through the assessments. So I think that's one important piece is it's um, it may be largely a symbolic move, but I think it can be a really effective one because of how key stakeholder groups are interacting with these assessments. I think another piece is that standards in general are less threatening to people when they're just words on the page, right? They're, they can't standards can't be used for accountability purposes unless there's an assessment that goes along with them. Um, so I think it remains to be seen whether as states move in uh, new directions with assessment, if 
those assessments also come under fire as they begin to be used for accountability purposes, that will be something we want to watch moving forward. Yeah, it seems like if all we're doing is substituting one set of Common Core aligned tests for another while maintaining the same policy environment around them, that it would be fair to say that parents are just being duped by this uh, this strategy. At the same time, there have been important changes in the policy environment around testing with the Every Student Succeeds Act. So teacher evaluations are no longer mandatory, at least under federal law. Um, and there's much more flexibility that states have with respect to the design of state accountability systems that may cause the new tests to be better received. Mm-hmm. I think that's absolutely right. And I think it's a really important uh, opportunity for states to take stock of, of where we've been on accountability and try to do some, some deeper thinking about what is the purpose of the, the state accountability system and how can we be responsive to concerns among parents and teachers. One of the things that I think a lot of folks that supported the Common Core missed is that the politics is what makes all of this sustainable. And in the case of standards and accountability, there's no vested interest out there that wants those things. And so building that stakeholder support is really essential for the long-term implementation of these policies. So to whom can advocates of the Common Core look to as potential stakeholders? Yeah, well, I think one of the biggest ones in this case was teachers, and this is part of the unfortunate reality of how things uh, went down uh, with this initiative. And, you know, teachers started out very supportive of the Common Core by large margins, and I know I've talked to my, just anecdotally, with a number of teachers who really like them. But as teacher evaluation came onto the agenda and folks started uh, sort of trying to rush through implementation, or at least that was the perspective of, of some of these um, some of these teachers. I think that's where the fallout started to happen, and we lost teachers. And make no mistake, if you want to implement standards in classrooms, you need teachers to support those efforts because they're the ones in classrooms. And you know, just um, anecdotally, I think you know one of my favorite quotes when I was working on this article came from a teacher who tweeted, "We start testing on standards. We're not teaching with curriculum we don't have on computers that don't exist." And of course, that wasn't true everywhere. But I think it's if that was true anywhere, that's a huge problem um, to be in that situation as a teacher and to to have that feeling. So, of course, our Education Next poll has documented the sharp decline in support for the Common Core among teachers in particular over the last several years, exactly at the time when all of this was unfolding. Yes, yes, and I've seen those polls, and I think it is really unfortunate, like I said, because it wasn't an inevitable outcome. It wasn't predictable um, just on the initiative alone. I think it, it came about in large part because of these competing initiatives being pursued at the same time. So I guess what we're going to learn over the next couple of years is whether this strategy of abandoning the tests in order to save the standards that seems to have been pursued by a number of states that have remained on board with the Common Core standards themselves is one that actually uh, works or whether it actually just prolongs the inevitable. Yeah, I think that's right, and I'm really looking forward to watching how states approach this work with their new plans under the Every Student Succeeds Act. In some ways, we've moved back to uh, laboratories of democracy, um, state a place where we can really look at how states have approached this work and whether there are differences in, um, in political support and, and, and the effectiveness of implementation. 
based on those plans. So I think it's a really great opportunity for researchers as well as advocates to take a look at these things and see if we can learn something from the different approaches states take. Well, maybe that can be the subject of your next article for Education Next. That would be terrific. <laughs> My guest today has been Ashley Jockham. Ashley's article with Patrick McGinn on the politics of the Common Core assessments is available now at educationnext.org. Ashley, thanks for the great piece and for joining me today. Thank you, Marty. It was great talking with you. Thank you for tuning in to Education Next's weekly podcast, released every Wednesday morning. For more on education reform, visit us online, educationnext.org. Thank you.